0: Hey, good morning once again. Just wanted to take a minute to answer a question that came in online from Steve, uh, one of the folks that watches our, our podcast. And I wanted to go ahead and take this question uh, and, and post on it because it strikes me that this is probably something that, um, that there are others that wonder about as well. So let me read the question. Let me go ahead and give it a shot. Um, here's a question that's a little bit harder. We know the enemy can appear... As an angel of light, we do know that, of course, because Paul says so in his writings to the Corinthians. But but can he counterfeit feelings such as peace or joy? I asked an assisting pastor uh, this question, and he asked me why would Satan even want to do that. And I replied to make the person think that he had a genuine experience when, in fact, that person had not. Good answer to that, by the way. Of course, Satan would always seek to deceive in some way, and so in this arena, it shouldn't surprise us either. Jesus said, my peace I give to my sheep, also in Romans, I think, and you're right, by the way, it's Romans 8.16, where Paul says, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit, speaking of how we know that we are children of God. I had a new believer say to me that uh, when they first felt the joy and peace, it was so awesome, it was like a new drug, and this question crossed their mind. Thanks for your time. Shalom. Well, shalom to you as well, Stephen. That's a great question. And one that I guess, I I would guess, that is probably not that uncommon. Matter of fact, I I know someone, a friend of mine, who struggles with his salvation because Satan is constantly messing with his mind about things. And uh, and when we talk about it, um, we go over Scripture, we talk about what it means to have the assurance of knowing you're a child of God and this kind of thing, and he knows all these things. But yet, nonetheless, he doesn't feel as though... um, uh, he is saved sometimes, and that kind of thing. Or there, you know, maybe he thinks a thought that causes him to think, that how can I be a believer if I think this, and that kind of thing. So let me take a minute and see if we can't speak to this. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and start with the passage that Steve referenced here, and this is in Romans 8, verse 16. And uh, as always, you want to consider the context of the passage. So let me go ahead and back up uh, a couple of verses here. Uh, and uh, and then we'll speak to the larger context that this passage finds itself in as well. Verse 14 is where I'll start. Um, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There's the passage that was being referenced. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Um, so let me speak to you a little bit about what this passage brings to bear on this question. First off, let me just say that, you know, of course, Satan will. Uh, and when we say Satan, by the way, we want to be a little careful, we recognize that Satan himself may not harass every believer in that kind of thing. He may sort of pers- put his own personal touch on particular believers in trying to oppress them in that kind of thing. But when we say Satan, we should understand that what we mean is Satan or you know any of the demonic entities that ultimately are serving in his uh, in his purposes um, in rebellion against God. And of course, in rebellion against God, that means that they will oftentimes seek to undermine. Uh, our, our trust in the Lord, our faith, our sense of belonging uh, and adoption and these kinds of things, particularly thinking about, again, this question. So yes, clearly Satan or, you know, his own minions, as you will, um, can seek to counterfeit feelings and emotions that might come with the idea of sonship or adoption in the family of God. And it shouldn't surprise us. Again, uh, like Paul says, you know, Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. It should not surprise us that his messengers do the same. Uh, In the last days, when the Antichrist is on the scene and the false prophet, uh, empowered by the dragon, great counterfeit signs and wonders are done. They are legit signs and wonders, but they are intended to mislead people away from faith in God and to faith in Antichrist, and by virtue of that, or by proxy, uh, ultimately worshiping Satan himself. And so the idea of his wanting to counterfeit should not surprise us. Uh, and without trying to, you know, knock the person you asked previously, there, he may have been thinking of some other line of reasoning or some kind of thing, but, but it should not surprise us that Satan seeks to counterfeit. Um, so how do we, I, maybe the larger question is, if we know that he will seek to undermine our faith and seek to lead us astray, seek to maybe, um, well, let me, let me borrow actually. Some of you are familiar with uh, the book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, Uh, It is a diabolically clever book that is just um, wonderfully written by Lewis. And it is written, if you've never read it and you pick it up and try to read it, it kind of bends your noodle a little bit because it takes a minute to realize that C.S. Lewis, in writing this book, is taking the perspective of the demon who is trying to keep a person from getting saved, and then when they do get saved, trying to make them useless. Uh, and so he refers to the enemy, and when we say the enemy we 're talking Satan, but in the book, in this literary fashion c s Lewis, from the demon 's perspective, when he says enemy he 's talking about God uh, or the Holy Spirit, and this kind of thing and so um in the book, uh, there is this attempt by um, you know by these demons to ultimately keep somebody from coming to faith, however, and this person is known as the patient uh, that uh uh, you know, screwtape is the master demon. Wormwood is his nephew and and our uh, call's nephew. and um and he's tutoring this young nephew to to be a a master deceiver, kind of a thing. Well, Wormwood loses the patient. The guy comes to Christ, he becomes a believer. and there's all these interesting insights into the way that Satan might try to undermine someone coming to faith. But interestingly, once the patient is lost and he becomes a a Christian, he's a follower of the enemy from screwtape's perspective. Now the effort goes into making him useless as a Christian, helping him not to grow in his faith, and helping him instead to sort of practice religion without ever growing in the relationship that that, that he's now afforded in Christ. And it's just this wonderfully insightful thing. I, I encourage you to read it. It's a, it's just it's a masterpiece, really. Um, but uh, but but that that ultimately is is a good example of the kind of thing we're talking about here. Um, when a person comes to Christ, there is this euphoric sense. Oftentimes I won't say always because not everybody has a, uh, a feeling kind of an experience. Uh, when I came to Christ, um, uh, I shared my testimony in a few episodes back. Well, that morning hung over when the Lord began to help me to understand that I was not a believer truly, um, When I went and just alone in my room and prayed to receive Christ, my hangover went away. Now, that was a really neat experience. Um, But by and large, my Christian faith is not based on experience per se or experience feelings and those kinds of things, but rather my, my faith is rooted in and built upon the objective truth of what God has said. And so, while I do experience emotional highs in my Christian faith, um, you know, I, I, you know, there are times when I'm preaching, or times when I'm praying, or times when I'm in worship. Uh, different things, different points in my life, when I do experience um, sort of this sense of God's presence and this joy that is overflowing, that He is. Um, you know, if I can borrow from Eric little, uh, or Liddell, um, the, the great runner uh, who also went on to be a missionary in China, the uh, the movie Chariots of Fire is about Eric Liddell. And there's a point in Eric's story when he is running for the Olympics and someone questions him about it a little bit and says, well, if you're a missionary, why aren't you, in, you know, doing your mission work? Why aren't you, you know, why are you running and doing this kind of thing? And Eric's response was essentially uh, something to the effect of, you know, I am a missionary. in my. I know that God's going to call me to the mission field, and one day I'll go. But God also made me fast, and when I run, I can feel his pleasure. I have always been deeply moved by that, because it it sort of succinctly explains this this element of the Christian's life. There is this sense of experiencing the joy and the the, the presence of, and the sense of God's presence and all. And a believer can be privy to that. Um, However, that being said, I don't put all of my weight on the emotions that I experience. For example, I can be deeply moved by a Christian worship song sung with a, a heart that is purely given over to the Lord, and it can become the most beautiful thing to hear as we think about the sentiments in the song that lead us to think about the Lord and all of His goodness and His grace and His mercy, His awesomeness, His power, whatever it might be. And that can move me to tears. But so can Whitney Houston's rendition of I Will Always Love You or Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On or something like that. You can hear this beautiful music and this angelic voice with this beautiful range of singing, and it can move you. Unbelievers can feel movement in their hearts. They can feel deeply moved by a beautiful beautiful piece of art or a, a moment in their lives that, that brings back memories. So emotions can be a very fickle thing and are are not a great barometer for knowing whether something we're standing on or believing is true. Now, the scripture does say that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And the general presumption in that is that he does it through emotion. It doesn't say that he does it through emotion. In fact, in couched uh, that statement is couched within some objective truth that has taken place. For example, um, we did not receive again the spirit of bond, uh, receive the uh, uh, the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Well, adoption is a theme in Scripture that is explained in Scripture to the effect that believers are adopted into the family of God. We are once lost and now found. We are children of darkness brought into being children of light. We've been adopted into the family of God by faith because of the finished work of Christ. There's a theology to this. It's not just, I feel adopted today and other days I don't. Um, Truth be told, uh, you might be married and maybe not feel married in some moment, but that doesn't change the fact that you are. Why? Because a process happened that you entered into a covenant agreement with somebody, and whether you feel married or not, you are. Okay. Well, in Christ, it's the same thing. We've been adopted into the family of God, regardless of whether or not that comes with commensurate emotion and that kind of thing. Um, There are believers. I have very good friends who are exceedingly strong believers in Christ, who would tell you that they really don't experience a lot of emotion when it comes to their faith. That is okay. I mean, wh- why would we say that that somehow makes them, you know, questionable about their faith or even lesser believers in some way? I, I would never think that. Uh, the depth of their relationship with God, their commitment, their their sense of, of understanding what it means to be born again and and having embraced that and believed. and th- There's no question about their faith. They just don't, whether it's, you know, for whatever reason, they just don't necessarily feel the deep emotion that others might feel in that regard. But whether you do or whether you don't is is not really the point. The point is that our faith is based in truth as revealed by God. And when putting our faith in the truth of the finished work of Christ, believing that he died for our sins once and for all, Knowing that we are not saved by our works, but entirely by the efficacious, finished finality, uh, the tetelestai of Jesus' works, it is finished. It is paid in full. The debt is no longer there. The penalty is no longer ours to pay because Christ paid it. When we have put our trust in Him, even as the Scripture says, "If you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ as Lord, and you believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved." That's what it means to be a believer. Um, so the reason I make a gigantic point of that is not to diminish the value of some of the emotional expression and feeling that comes with love and relationship as, as we experience it with God or whether we don't, but because Satan does seek to counterfeit, we have to, even those of us who would claim to have experienced deep emotional, response to the to the truth of God, or maybe his presence in a moment that is just overwhelming to us or something like that, we don't discount the experience necessarily, but we don't rest our faith on the experience. The experience could be the result of anything else. It could be the total result of, of, of God's presence in that moment. But my faith, maybe another way to put it is this. When I share my faith or when I share the gospel, either or when I you know I share my faith, I, I'm always connecting the gospel with that. But when I share my faith uh, or tell people the gospel, um, I I never personally, I never tell them that when they come to Christ they are going to feel euphoria. They might. but I don't make that sort of the measure of whether or not, they are a genuine believer, or whether they have legitimately put their trust in Christ. Because what do you say to somebody who has put their trust in Christ, but has no connected emotion with that necessarily? You cannot say they're not saved because they didn't have emotion. The Bible never says that if you have emotion, you'll know you're born again. Never. Matter of fact, oftentimes you you don't see anything like that. There are occasions when you do, but that's not sort of the standard measure when you read the scripture at all. And so, to, to, to try and just wrap this up and answer the question in sort of a summary, plain, straightforward way, yes, Satan will always seek to counterfeit wherever he has given space. If we are an emotional person, then expect that Satan is going to try and put his finger on that and try to deceive you in that. If we are prone to seeking feelings to verify truth in our lives, that will become fertile ground for the enemy. Um, If uh, on the other end of the spectrum, if we are purely intellectual, expect him to try and attack intellectually, attack, uh, assume that at some point he will bring across your vision, an article from some philosophical magazine that somehow seeks to undermine uh, the validity of your faith. Well, where do you go in either of those cases? You always go to the Word of God, and you see what God's Word has to say about it. For example, um, whether you feel like it or not, the truth of the matter is, is that at the end of chapter 8, Paul says this, that I am persuaded. In other words, I have come to understand and believe. This truth has been ingrained in my mind. I am absolutely certain of that of which I am saying to you. I have been persuaded. That neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the apex of his discussion, starting with, why do I do the things I know are wrong and I don't seem to have the strength to do the things I know I should do? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He then goes on to speak about what Christ has done in order to free me from this body of death, uh, both in terms of my positional relationship with God and also in the knowledge that one day this literal body will no longer be what it is. It will be transformed. I'm borrowing a little bit from 1 Corinthians. But the idea is that one day I will no longer have this struggle. But in the meantime, it brings me tremendous peace to know that God has said that I am his and nobody will take me away from him. Now, that makes me personally very emotional. Uh, Really, there have been times I've read that passage and I have thought it through in great detail and it has broken me down to think that this could be true of me. And not could be, but is true, that I am in his hands. But for somebody who's not deeply emotional there is a sense of relief that I don't have to worry that somehow I can be led out of the hands of God, that nothing will separate me from his love. Intellectually, that satisfies that. So even though there might be someone trying to undermine it, and I begin to fall back in question and get confused at something, I know that I'm his, right? I'm his. And the struggle is real. And whether whatever direction the enemy brings it from, it's coming, but in this world where I'm seeing things only from my my, my, my limited perspective, uh, my own challenges in the flesh, my own internal struggles and these kinds of things, I know that I'm resting in Him. Matter of fact, we often quote also from Romans 8. Boy, if there's, if there's a chapter you want to dwell on and, and meditate on and pray over and read and study and highlight and underline and cross-reference and spend time on, Romans 8 is one of those chapters. But notice in Romans 8, verse 28, we all know this verse. I quote it kind of regularly. Um, and by the way, it's, I'll, I'll sort of borrow from the kind of tongue-in-cheek, kind of not uh, sentiment that it's a good idea every now and then to go back to Romans 8, 28, and make sure it's still there. Because sometimes it seems like the whole world's falling apart around us, and my world's falling apart. Am I sure that God is using things for good? Okay, well, His Word says it, so all right. Well, here it is, Romans 8, 28, where it says, and we know... Okay? We know. Whether we feel it or not, we know. And again, this is a struggle for some people because feelings are very, uh, for some people, feelings are a very, very significant part of their personality, of their, uh, of their way they operate and all that kind of thing. Um, but even that said, somebody who's deeply rooted in feelings would not walk off the top of a building because they feel like they can fly, they know that gravity will pull them to their death. And so even emotional people, people that are prone to be emotional, still do operate in the world of of hard, solid facts. And so Paul, speaking on a subject that for many could bring them to tears, starts by saying, and we know, and we know. We have cognizant knowledge of this, objective truth. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul says that he who began a good work, in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. So, essentially, in that sentence, he is saying what Paul is expanding upon, what, what he himself is here in Romans expanding upon, in what is typically known as the golden chain of redemption—the idea that where God started, he ultimately leads all to where he is going with that person. In other words, since he foreknew you and called you and all of these things. Uh, Justified, all these different things, he ultimately brings you to glorification. This will happen. We know this. Okay? Regardless of how I feel, I'm in his hands. So when the devil tries to undermine through emotion, through those kinds of things, remember that your faith is not built on emotion. As emotional as you are or not, your faith is not built. On emotion, but rather is built entirely on the truth of God as he has made it known to us. And upon that truth, we stand regardless of what we feel about it. So hopefully that helps a little bit. Um, and uh, my hope is that we would all as believers, new and old alike, uh, stand on the truth of God and let our faith rest on that truth, that objective reality of what God has called us to uh, to believe. That Jesus, God in the flesh, came not just to teach and do miracles, these were important parts of his ministry, but they ultimately validated who He was and what he came to do and what he what he came to do was to go to the cross and to pay for our sins to pay the debt that we could never pay. Uh, the idea of federalism, not government federalism, where states and national governments have equal but tension based powers, but federalism biblically speaking, the idea that whereas in Adam we all die. In Christ, we now live. And so he is the the, the steps into the place uh, on behalf of all of us and pays for our sins once and for all so that by faith and trust belief in what he has accomplished, we would be saved. Believing in him and what he did ultimately leads us to everlasting life. Uh, what does Paul say again in Romans 5.21? He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's a fact. So, uh, hopefully, that answers the question. And uh, by all means, if you have questions that you want to share, I'll certainly do my best to give them a shot. Uh, Sometimes I'll answer questions in the comments where they're asked. Other times, I might go ahead and do this where I'll post it because it's, uh, you know, some of these questions are, you know, most of them actually tend to be questions that likely would um, help others as well. They likely are thinking the same kinds of things. So, I like to share some of these. So that being said, thanks for watching, listening. Thanks for being here with us. And uh, we'll look forward to getting into the Word again next time. I'm looking forward to getting back into Romans chapter 5. Let me encourage you to read the first five verses of Romans 5. That's where we'll probably be in our next post. And uh, this is another one of those passages that just overwhelms me. It is such a a beautiful truth, right from the first couple of words. Uh, And of course, it's built on all that Paul has been saying to this point. Uh, just, just read it. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. I'm looking forward to going through it. So, Father, we thank you for the truth upon which we stand. We thank you for the grace that has been afforded to us in the finished work of Christ. Jesus did come into the world, God in the flesh, and he came into the world to pay for our sin, that we might be forgiven and free. So we thank you for the grace that flows from this finished work. The open door, the rent veil, the opportunity to come now by faith. And to put our trust in Him and be saved. Saved from the penalty of our sin. Not by our works, but rather fully by the grace of God in this work of Christ. So thank you for this. We just pray that we would, whether we are emotional or not, that we would cherish the truths upon which we stand. That we would celebrate them. That we would worship in response to them. And that we would not allow our emotions to dictate what is true, even though our emotions often flow from that which is true. We want to enjoy that. But at the same time, our faith is rooted in something much deeper than what we might feel in a moment. And so we pray that we would not allow the devil to have that place to seek to undermine and confuse. Father, when Paul talked about the helmet of salvation, the idea of the fiery darts coming, uh, you know, and the shield of faith standing against, but, you know, the helmet of salvation helping us to rest in the, the truth and the knowledge, to be sure, and for our thinking on this to be protected. Uh, Father, we want to put on that helmet of salvation. And of course, we do want to raise the shield of faith uh, with which we thwart the fiery darts of the enemy. And so thank you for the equipment that you've given us, both to defend ourselves from his attacks and also to move forward uh, with the kingdom of God, with the truth of God. Father, we just bless you and thank you. Um, that Jesus is in fact the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he is in fact God in the flesh himself that has come and set us free. This truth, whether it overwhelms us with deep emotion or not, is the truth upon which we stand, and we thank you for it. Help us to stand. In Jesus' name, amen.